Y'all, having a baby is one of life's biggest joys and biggest stressors. For many of us, we see this experience as a logical step in our coupled relationship. We imagine how a baby will only bring us closer together. After all, they are the obvious outward expression that we've taken our relationship to the next level. But do we even consider what next level might actually mean? Because y'all, it's a lot. We haven't signed on to bring a little carbon copy of ourselves into the world. We've committed ourselves to raising the next generation with our partner. And all the things that we love about them will be on full display. And there are things we don't even know about yet that will make us love them even more than we thought possible. But all the things that we're not so fond of, their idiosyncrasies, their annoying habits, or the way they don't do what we ask them to do in the exact way we're used to doing them. Yep, these are going to be on full display as well. It is possible to feel even more connected with our partner following the birth of our first baby. But it's unlikely that this will happen without a lot of blood, sweat, and tears as we figure out who we are, who they are, and who our babies are. Like I said, it's a lot. Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I've worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family, in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, raising the next generation is hard and all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. You may not know this, but when my husband and I were first married, we weren't sure we'd ever be able to have children. Roberto was diagnosed with testicular cancer when we were just newlyweds. And this forced a discussion that we hadn't planned on having for at least a few more years. Do we want to have kids? If so, how many? If the frozen sperm we had banked before a surgery and chemo didn't work, what else were we willing to do to try and conceive? Y'all, it was a really intense time for our relationship. We went through so much more in that first year and a half than most couples experience in a lifetime together. I will be forever grateful that he was able to eventually have the title of cancer survivor and that we were able to go on to create our beautiful family together. But I want to confess something here. This experience convinced me that when it was our turn to have a baby, that we would somehow be one of the golden couples who just floats through the normal challenges and changes that come along with becoming a family. I can't believe this, but I remember telling Roberto as his hair was just starting to come back in after chemo, that I wouldn't give his cancer back, because it had taught us so much. I think I even said something stupid and foreboding, like, I mean, after all we've been through, what could ever break us up? And then we had our first baby. Now, y'all, we never really got close to breaking up after she was born, but I remember being shocked about the first year being way harder than it should be for us as parents. 
and I became convinced that I would have to do something about that so other expecting and new parents wouldn't feel the same. I needed to figure out how to baby-proof the couple relationship. Before my dad died, my parents had been married for over 60 years. Isn't that incredible? Even more incredible is that they were still very much in love with one another, right up to the end. Theirs was not a story of staying together just because they had a shared history and six children, 14 grandchildren, and five great-grandchildren to consider. No, y'all. I'm certain that if asked, they would say they were more in love over six decades later than the day they married. How is that even possible? If you were to ask my dad, I'm pretty sure he'd tell you that it all boils down to this, being thoughtful of one another. Now, y'all, we have a very romanticized view of what love is supposed to look like and feel like. That image gets planted like a tiny seed when we're little kids. Disney is full of romantic stories where true love always wins the day. And adult depictions of love aren't that much better. Any rom-com we're seeing will show impossibly gorgeous people who overcome all obstacles put in their paths to then drive off into the sunset together, a life full of incredible sex and romance to keep them happy all the rest of their days. That's a pretty amazing and idealistic view of love. But I'm guessing that even if you've had the good fortune to swoon in the early days, when you were just forming that romantic attachment to your partner, that you've also realized that this type of love is not super sustainable over the long haul. There has to be something else to fall back on as a couple to allow the waxing and waning of romantic love to flow as it does over a lifetime of loving one another. So how does being thoughtful fit into this idea of love? It doesn't sound very romantic. I think thoughtfulness is the foundation for the concept of love languages. Have you heard of these? Dr. Gary Chapman has written a whole book based on this concept. Basically, there are five different ways people express their love to one another. Physical touch, acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, and receiving gifts. I feel lucky that my husband and I figured out each other's love language even before this concept had ever been discovered. I think speaking one another's love language can really help a couple keep communication and intimacy happening during the normal waning period of romantic love. Something to tide you over until that romantic love returns again. Early on in our marriage, I would go out of my way to pick up my husband's dry cleaning so that he wouldn't have to do it later in the day. When I came home and handed it to him with a flourish, He'd barely acknowledge what I'd done and would mumble a quick, oh, thanks. And I would fume silently. Doesn't he appreciate me in all that I do for him? Clearly, I'm an access service kind of gal. I express love by doing things for other people, and I feel especially loved by others when they do things for me. In contrast, my husband used to say nice things to me all the time, like, I love that dress. And I'd respond with, ugh, this? I've had it for years. I think it's old and ugly. 
and I'd watch as he deflated before my very eyes. See, he's a words of affirmation dude. He expresses love by telling others what he thinks is wonderful about them, and then feels most love when he's acknowledged by others through verbal affirmation. Now, once we figure this out, y'all, and started trying to speak one another's love language instead of defaulting to speak our own, things began to change. And today, I take the time to let my husband know when I think he looks extra sharp going off to work, or better yet, when I tell him what a great dad he is to our children, he stands about three inches taller. And if he sees that I've had a long day, pours me a glass of wine, offers to put the kids to bed and finish up the dishes while I sit and watch some bad reality TV, he's probably going to get lucky later because he's definitely speaking my love language. In my classes, I have couples do a five-minute assessment based on the actual love language quiz, and I challenge them to start consciously speaking the other's primary love language. At first, honestly, it can feel completely fake and cheesy, y'all. But a really interesting thing starts to happen as you're actively working to speak in the language your partner responds to best. You're practicing thoughtfulness. You're thinking of your partner deliberately and trying to show them how much you love them. And oftentimes, they respond with more thoughtfulness and this lovely circle of positive feedback starts to surround you both. Then 60 years go by and you're even more in love than the day you met. Okay. So there's probably going to be a lot more stuff that goes on between speaking one another's love language and being happily married for 60 years. But I think it's a great place to start. Give it a try as a couple. It only really works if you're both willing to invest the time and attention this deserves. I think you'll find it really helps to strengthen your relationship. And this is a great thing to do even before your baby arrives. But remember, it's never too late to try to speak to each other with love. Have you heard of love languages before? Have you ever tried speaking your partner's love language instead of your own? How did it feel for you? Did you find that it strengthened your relationship? Sometimes I'm amazed at how much time and energy people put into the planning of a wedding, commitment ceremony, or party to celebrate their love, and how very little time and energy goes into what happens the days, weeks, months, and years following. When you commit your life to someone else, y'all, that's huge. But when you commit to parent together, that's even huger. Because there are no guarantees that you'll stay together forever. But once you're parenting together, there's no way to break ties completely. You'll always be a part of each other's lives. For better or worse, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, until death do you part. So how do you do this committed relationship thing for the long haul? Because that's what it is, y'all. Whether you stay together forever or not, If you're parenting together, it's going to be a long haul, and one that's not for the faint of heart. I've had friends who've separated and then eventually divorced who've told me that because they had children together, they were required to go through parenting education classes to help them be successful in their co-parenting relationship moving forward. More than one of these friends has said, 
I wish they'd had us go through these classes before we had kids. It might have helped us not to get a divorce in the first place. Y'all, it's no secret that having children can negatively impact your relationship. In fact, 92% of couples report increased conflict following the birth of their first child. 67% report greater relationship dissatisfaction as well in the first three years after they begin having children. And 17% even say that having a baby was what caused the relationship to come to an end. But why is this happening? Anytime we go through a huge life transition, moving across country, getting a new job, buying or selling a home, getting married, having children, even if these are longed for and positive changes, they also cause a huge amount of stress. This stress bleeds into our personal relationships. It's hard to not be affected by the stress, and it's even harder not to take this out on the people who are closest to us. We all take those who love us for granted sometimes, y'all. But when you're supposed to learn about 300 new parenting skills with little to no sleep and without adequate parenthood preparation, it's like you're being set up to fail. This is what motivates me to do the work of becoming us. I am committed to helping families through the biggest transition of their lives. Here are just a few of the reasons why I love Becoming Classes so much and why they can help every family. One, normalizing what you're going through, knowing that almost every other family is going through the exact same thing, allows you to stop thinking, what's wrong with our relationship? Number two, learning communication skills that can help you break your old ways of conflict management. You know, the ones that sort of worked before you had kids but aren't cutting it now that you do can be a tremendous positive change in your relationship and model new ways of communicating for your children as they grow. Number three, discovering what your primary emotions are, maybe for the first time ever, and understanding that all emotions point to an unmet need can help you support yourself and those you love even better. And number four, learning how to stay connected no matter what life throws at you is so important. Because Once you make it through the new parenting phase, it doesn't really get any easier. There will always be new challenges to get through. I believe that Becoming Us classes as parenthood preparation can be one tool that might help to prevent, lessen, or help families heal from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. When the greatest predictor of maternal emotional distress is relationship dissatisfaction, then my work of helping families baby-proof their relationship is something I'm committed to doing and something that might have serious implications for positive mental health and parenting. I sent out a survey to some of my former Becoming Us families and received dozens of responses, but here are just a few of their answers to some questions that I asked. How do you think your experience of parenthood compares with others you know who did not take a Becoming Us class? I feel that I was more prepared for how to handle situations and communicate with my partner than other parents. I think my husband and I were kinder to each other than some other couples I've known. We saw ourselves as a team rather than competitors. What benefits are there in having taken a Becoming Us class? It gave me a sense of calm. Taking this class gave me the tools I need as a parent to communicate with my partner during stressful times. Our expectations were adjusted to be more realistic while maintaining excitement. I feel that the desire to communicate with my wife is on my mind more now than it would have been without the class. 
leading to less arguments, frustration, and resentment. How would you describe your relationship now after taking a Becoming Us class? Has it changed? Before the class, our relationship was in crisis. We fought all the time, and we were extremely competitive and resentful. After the class, we've become considerate, communicative, and realistic, and happy. I think our relationship is deeper and richer after taking the class and having a baby. We're better at communicating, which is good, because it's more important now than ever before. What do you think your experience of parenthood would have been like if you had not taken a Becoming Us class? My partner had a much, much harder time with becoming a parent than I did. The stress of a colicky baby on top of an already extremely stressful job was way too much. But simply knowing that he had taken the Becoming Us class and was completely on board and cognizant of working on an emotionally healthy family was reassuring. It gave me a sense of peace that we would get through this difficult time. Our house would be even messier. We agreed to try out hiring help cleaning during the class, and I would be more resentful, less tolerant when my partner took time for herself. We continued to try to look out for each other and make time for the things that we identified as priorities, even though it can be hard to find time. I would have been even more controlling, which most likely would have resulted in even more distance between us and made connecting after the baby even harder. I think every expectant and or new family can benefit from better preparation before or after they begin parenting. I'm honored to be a certified Becoming Us facilitator so that I can bring this preparation to the families that I really do love. I've been committed to this work for over 20 years. I've committed my professional life to the thousands and thousands of families I've had the privilege of walking alongside as they begin their parenting journeys. But I'm not only committed to them. I'm committed to this one radical idea. The world could be a better place if families were doing more than just surviving. For the world to truly be a better place, families need to be thriving. That's a promise that Becoming Us makes good on. And it's something that I'm willing to stay committed to for the long haul. Once upon a time, my mom and I were having a discussion about something that might have been a bit controversial. I can't remember what we were talking about, only that we were coming at this particular issue from two different sides and we weren't backing down. I don't remember it as an argument at all. I remember it only as a spirited discussion about a topic that we both felt passionate about. There was no point where I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is where we ended up destroying our relationship We've crossed the line with one another this time. No, the line between us is as strong and constant as ever. And even if we tiptoe over it once in a while, we're always able to come back to a place of balance and neutrality, a place of deep connection, love, and belonging. So it came as a little bit of a surprise when I was retelling my mom a story about how I'd gotten into an intense discussion with someone from my workplace. And I said, I think she thought I was looking for a fight. To which my mom replied, well, Barbara, we both know you don't exactly avoid confrontation. (laughs) 
At first, this comment really stung in the way all truths that are told to you sometimes do, y'all. And I tried to defend myself and my actions. The reality is that I'm a middle child. I don't really enjoy conflict or stirring the pot. I enjoy sitting in a boat that's floating along serenely in the center of the lake, not bobbing back and forth threatening to capsize at any moment. I never go out of my way to create conflict. Like most people, I'm good with not rocking the boat intentionally. But my mom is completely right about me. I never avoid conflict. Ever. Why? Because I absolutely love conflict resolution. There's nothing that thrills me more, mind, body, and soul, than coming to a new and better understanding with another person. The relationship, whether that be with my mom, my husband, my kids, my friends, or my coworkers, is always improved for having done the hard work of resolving any conflict that should arise. The relationship is always stronger. Trust always increases. Connection always grows deeper. Who wouldn't want that? Well, as it turns out, y'all, lots of people. The work of growing together through differences is hard. It takes time. It requires both parties to be vulnerable. It often involves a lot of emotional pain and at times quite a bit of suffering. Sign me up, said no one ever. Except for me and maybe Brene Brown and also my dear friend and colleague, researcher, relationship counselor, and parenthood pioneer, Ellie Taylor author of Becoming Us, The Couple's Guide to Surviving the Parenthood Journey. I became a certified Becoming Us facilitator in 2017, and since that time I've had the honor and pleasure of working with hundreds of couples. I facilitate both before baby and after baby four-week class series, where we cover all eight stages of the parenthood journey. Stage one, preparing for your baby. Create a plan for those first few days, weeks, and months after you become a family, for the first time or the fifth time. This preparation will help make the transition easier on everyone. Stage two, building a nest. The outside world can wait. Surround yourself with helpers, not visitors, so that you can spend this time nesting, resting, and bonding as a family. Stage three, managing your expectations. This might not go as you thought it would. Realistic expectations about what to expect can prepare you for those days when you need to seek out extra support. Stage four, setting up base camp. Now that you have a new normal, you can begin to look at your own needs and set up habits that will help you cope with the stress of new parenthood. Stage five, embracing your emotions. Understanding your new level of emotional sensitivity and using these feelings as a guide for sharing with one another can take your relationship to a whole new level. Step six, nurturing your new parent selves. Respecting, appreciating, and supporting one another in your new roles is vital to your co-parenting relationship. Stage seven, growing together through differences. 92% of couples report increased conflict in the first year after the birth of their baby. By learning the skills of intimate communication, these differences can bring you even closer together rather than send you farther apart. And stage eight, bonding through intimacy. 67% of couples report relationship dissatisfaction in the first three years of starting a family. But there are ways to increase happiness, stay connected, and deepen your love for one another. Y'all, guess which of these eight stages of parenthood journey is my favorite? 
Yep, it's no contest. I love stage seven, growing together through differences. I love it the most because I know this is when we're going to get serious about learning how to do the thing that lights me up inside. Conflict resolution. Many of the couples who come to my classes might not have had great models or examples of this in their own families of origin, y'all. These are not usually skills that we know about or are practiced in unless we've done some therapy or our therapists ourselves. Lucky for me, I come by this desire for conflict resolution naturally. And I believe that providing the couples in my classes with these skills is the cornerstone that allows them to do more than just survive parenthood. It allows them to thrive as families all along their parenthood journey. In class, I encourage my couples to think of an event. It can be ongoing or resolved at this point where they had an argument with their partner. We identify what they were feeling in the moment, their secondary emotion, and then take time to dig a little deeper and identify what they might have been feeling underneath, their primary emotion. In addition to their initial reaction to the event, what need of theirs might not have been met in this interaction? If they feel able to express this to their partner, how could that need have been met in a different way? Now, as you can imagine, y'all, this sometimes brings up big emotions, even when I ask them to choose a very small or seemingly inconsequential event. The couples then put their feelings into an I statement and then move off to talk with each other privately for a little while. It feels awkward, stiff, a little corporate maybe, but many are able to have a much deeper conversation around this issue than they've ever had before. And this leads to shared vulnerability, deeper trust, greater connection, and increased understanding. I consider this a bonus, but sometimes they even resolve the conflict completely. In this age, when the spinning beach ball comes on the screen while we're trying to load our show on Netflix makes us come unglued with impatience, conflict resolution can sometimes be a tough sell. The work of identifying our triggers and emotions, of taking the time we need to identify and share our vulnerabilities with one another, of listening, really listening, takes a lot of time and focused attention. But the return on that investment of time and attention is a relationship that is always stronger than it was before. And y'all, that's always worth it, in my opinion. But I guess you might expect this from a self-proclaimed, non-avoidant, conflict resolution-seeking individual whose job involves teaching these skills to new and expected families so they might continue to grow together through the differences that come along the parenthood journey. Lucky me. I wrote this vulnerable blog post about my own relationship, and it continues to be one of my most read ever. The idea of a relationship hitting some hard spots every once in a while must have really resonated with folks. I share it with you here now, three years and a few more hard spots later. By the time you're reading this, I will have dropped my kids off to school, kissed them goodbye, and headed into a weekend with my husband to celebrate 23 years of marriage. 23 years? That's a lot, y'all. We've reached the point where we've been together longer than we've been apart. And ours has been like most marriages, I think, full of ups and downs, times of challenge and change, uncertainty and confidence, disconnection, and thankfully, reconnection. 
While it's true that in a long-term relationship, there will be periods when you feel blissfully connected, grateful to be understood and accepted by your beloved, feeling lucky to have found someone that you want to spend your whole life with. Y'all, there will also be periods where you can't imagine being more irritated by anyone else on the planet. Your partner's habits, their idiosyncrasies, so endearing when you were first falling in love, might actually become the things you can't stand. And navigating all of the ways you and your partner will change and grow over the years together makes this relationship the hardest one you'll ever be in and likely the hardest one to maintain over the long haul. But here's the secret, something that they, whoever they are, don't tell you about being in a marriage or otherwise long-term committed relationship. If you're patient, if you're willing to do the hard work that relationship maintenance requires, and if you have a willing partner, it does take two to tango, then that cycle can swing back around and you can feel connected again. This, in my opinion, is what every single one of us as human beings is hardwired for and wants more than anything. To feel connected. To feel seen. To feel loved and a deep abiding sense of belonging. Now y'all, it's possible to get these feelings met in lots of ways that don't necessarily have to come from a single source, from a partner. There are plenty of self-fulfilled people who feel complete in all the ways that make our human existence beautiful and worthwhile, and they're not in a couple of relationships. I'm not speaking to this. I'm speaking more directly to the reality of what can happen after we enter into a relationship with someone, and especially if we decide to start a family with them. It can be comforting to know that there will be ebbs and flows in this relationship, and that this is a normal pattern that cycles and recycles over time. But how do you ride out the rough patches? How do you stay afloat amidst the ebbing? Y'all, this time last year, my husband of 22 years and I were not in a good place. We were about six weeks in to what ended up being about a six-month slog of feeling disconnected, of being upset with one another, of not seeing things in the same way, and being caught in uncharted territory in our relationship. And it spilled into everything else in our lives, our work, our parenting, our ways of moving through the world as individuals and as a couple. This time last year, we were supposed to be celebrating our anniversary. But I'm going to tell you that my memory of that weekend was, in a word, awkward. We did all the things. We went through all the motions. We ate great dinners. We watched lots of movies. We even sang karaoke. But it felt forced. It wasn't good, y'all. There was so much we needed to work through, but I'm not sure that either one of us felt able to dig in and do what needed to be done at the time. The initial challenge was still too fresh and too intense for either one of us to start unpacking. Plus, happy anniversary. You want to fight? Held no appeal. We just couldn't do it at the time. And to be honest, I don't think either one of us really wanted to. So how are we here a year later and in a place where we literally can't wait to spend four days and three nights away together? What a difference a year can make. When you're disconnected from someone you love, it feels like there's a semi-solid mass built up between you. You can barely see one another through the barrier that's in place. You certainly can't hear one another well, 
and you really don't want to touch one another, even if you could. You go through the motions of being in a relationship, but not in a way that feels authentic or real, loving or supportive. It ends up feeling anything but true. So how did we do it? Because we've done a complete 180 from where we were a year ago. Well, there were many, many, many long into the night discussions. Lots of check-ins where we were honest about still not feeling like we were on the same page with one another. We did the hard and honest work of taking off the armor that the world would insist we wear 24-7. And we trusted one another. We trusted that if we were truly vulnerable with one another, striving to be real rather than right, that we could each hear what the other was willing to share and create a new and better understanding of ourselves and our relationship. And then we made renewed promises to strive to take better care of this relationship that we both choose to be a part of. And that's a point to focus on. We choose to be together. We have created a family together and have promised to stay together for our whole entire lives. Oh, that statement is huge when you see it written out that way. Our whole entire lives. And it can be scary as hell to think about that timeline when things are not good, when the overriding feeling is of disconnection from one another. But during those times, remember that you do have a choice. When things are hard, when your promise to one another is being challenged, you can choose to leave. Or you can choose to roll up your sleeves, turn toward one another. Take off the armor and do the hard work of pulling down the barrier that exists between you bit by bit and try to reconnect in a deeper, more intentional, more meaningful way. And so a year has passed and we find ourselves excited about our time away to celebrate not just 23 years of being married, but all the work we put in this past year to get back to this place of connection together. I feel vulnerable in writing this today, but I do it because it's important to share not just the realities of pregnancy, birth, and new parenting with all of you, but also the realities of what it means to try and maintain a relationship. Authenticity is probably my number one core value, and I have to practice what I preach as a Becoming Us facilitator and couples coach. I cannot encourage my families to do the work, y'all, and extol the virtues of it unless I'm also doing the work and reaping the benefits from it too. The work of seeking out reconnection in times of disconnect is hard. It takes time. It's not a lot of fun, to be honest, but it is so damn worth it. And here's something to consider that can really help keep the couple relationship strong after you've made the decision to start a family. Leave the kids with someone you trust and get the hell out of your day-to-day life and spend some quality time together at least once a year. My husband and I struck a deal with our good friends who have almost as many kids as we do. Their three boys are equal to our two girls and two boys, at least in times of energy and food intake. And for the past eight years, we've dropped our kids off and taken a weekend to ourselves as a couple. It started out as just a two-night stay, but as soon as we realized our kiddos could handle it, it turned into a three-night stay away. That third night is so awesome. We take their kids in October and they take ours in May. It's a crazy weekend for the host family, but in terms of food production, mostly. When you have seven kids, you've got to figure out how to keep them all fed. You're almost constantly prepping the food, feeding them the food, 
or cleaning up after you fed them the food. Thankfully, our kids are like cousins and get along well. And we know that if our kids start to act up, they will be parented pretty much the same way we would given the circumstances. These anniversary trips have been a contributing factor to a positive and relationship-saving strategy for both of our families over the years. Now, this might not seem like a possibility for you yet if you're still a new little family, and it might not be for a while, and that's okay, y'all. But being in a committed relationship for your whole lives means you have to take the time to make a plan for the future, and it's so good to dream. About six months ago, my husband and I started dreaming about this year's anniversary celebration. Why? Because we were good again. We felt connected and wanted to plan something special to celebrate that we made it through another year together. And despite the hard work that was required, I'm happy to say we've come out on the other side closer, stronger, and ready for year number 24. Bring it on. All my best to those of you who might find yourselves in a period of disconnect. Breathe. Gauge your readiness to dig in, but be patient enough to ride out this rough patch and try to stay afloat during this time of ebb. Do what you can to break down those barriers and reconnect. And if you need a little help, get in touch. I've seen some amazing things happen through my Becoming Us classes or private couples coaching sessions. I'd love to be a resource for you. I want to acknowledge that there are times when addiction, abuse, infidelity, or an unwilling, unresponsive partner sabotages the relationship that you might be really willing to work and fight for. There are professional resources available that would be worthwhile to help you navigate these situations or issues. I offer my sincere compassion to you. Not everyone has a partner relationship that's able to cycle from connection to disconnection and back to reconnection in a healthy way. I know this and recognize all that you've done and are doing every day to support yourself and your family. This might sound familiar to those who have already listened to episode 13, where I encourage you to take part in something that I call the pre-post-future exercise. This is something that can help individual parents integrate who they used to be with who they are now in order to imagine themselves as a cohesive, full person in the future. Now let's apply the pre-post-future exercise to your couple relationship. The fourth trimester is not typically a time when your couple relationship is your number one priority. In fact, it's totally normal for both of you to be focused on the baby and literally just trying to make it through the newborn period. Your communication at this time is likely more transactional, and you may find that you've settled into a good parenting relationship, but that your romantic relationship has been put far away in the back burner, and that you miss things used to be. At that three-month mark or later, it's important to sit down together as a couple and recommit yourselves to reprioritizing your relationship. Find some quiet space and time to work on this together. I've attached a worksheet in today's show notes and you can print off a copy for yourself and your partner, but you could just as easily use these words as a guide and take some notes. 
Imagine three pie charts that represent what your relationship was like pre-baby, what it's been like now post-baby, and what you'd like it to be like sometime in the future, maybe a year from now. Divide each pie up, not according to how much time you spend doing things together, but rather how you felt about your partner and the quality of your relationship at each stage. Be honest and vulnerable. Share from your heart. For example, Barb's pre-baby relationship pie would include the following. Sleeping in, live music, dancing, tons of movies in the theater, date nights all the time. And it felt easy, spontaneous, and fun. We didn't really have any intense responsibilities except to take care of each other. Be honest about what's changed in your relationship since becoming a parent. You cannot claim what you want it to look like in the future unless you are real about what it was like in the past and what it's like right now in the present. It's okay to notice and grieve those changes. Remember that it's normal for your relationship to take a hit when you become a family, especially in the beginning. Compare your pre-baby and post-baby relationship pies. What's different? What parts of your relationship pre-baby have been lost that you want back? What parts of your relationship post-baby are you grateful for and want to keep? Now imagine what you'd like the future of your relationship to look like and dream together about how you can make this a reality. Your couple relationship is different now, but that doesn't mean that it can't be better, stronger, more connected, and loving than it ever was before. How will you each commit yourselves to giving your child the greatest gift ever? A happy and healthy relationship. My wish is that you found this episode realistic, but hopeful, y'all. When we commit our lives to another person and then we have a baby with that person, it means we'll always be in one another's lives. Forever. So, knowing that it's normal for your relationship to take a hit after you start a family, and that it's not because you have a crappy relationship, can be so helpful. But you've got to know that there will be periods of disconnect. That's just facts, folks. If you're willing to do some hard work, risk being vulnerable with one another, and put in the time that's required for y'all to have a level of intimacy, emotional and physical. Go back to season one, y'all, if you want more info on that topic. It is possible for your connection to your partner post-babies to be stronger than ever before. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out and let me know. Better yet, Share it with someone who might also enjoy it or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. I'm looking forward to connecting again next time on Birth Happens.